Welcome to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Very excited today uh, because I've got my guest here, Eric Hall, with me today. Hey, Eric. <laughs> now, Eric has, has had a very enviable career in insights and category management, uh, having worked along the way for great companies, great CPG companies early on, like Nestle Purina. Uh, Kellogg's, Coors Brewing, a few others. Later transition to the healthcare pharma space, working with great companies like Allergan, AbbVie, and currently with Behringer Ingelheim, right? So all those great companies that uh, so many people want to, to work with and, and a few others in between. So that's, that's really cool. Um, but now Eric picked up a hobby and a passion, life-altering passion uh, a little bit uh, later, so it's sort of along the way, if you will, and I think it's just such an awesome story, and I can't wait to dig into that and all kinds of other things on today's podcast, so welcome to the show, Eric. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here, Matt. Yeah, yeah, super happy to have you here, and I have to thank my colleague Kendall Gay for putting us in touch. Kendall's a good guy. He knows you. He's a pretty good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Funny guy, too. So, Let's uh, let's get into it. I mean, you've got a lot of this classic stuff in your uh, your insights background. So tell us how you got started and take us a little yeah. bit the, the journey. Yeah, you know, I got started in uh, you know analytics uh, with syndicated research with AC Nielsen and uh, right. in the pet food space, and that was a lot of fun. It was a great training ground, you know, working for AC Nielsen and you know, kind of on the consulting track and working with, uh, you know, uh, Fortune 500 companies and big brands. Right. And, uh, it gave me a lot of the basic skills. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I got my MBA out of the way and I ended up going to Kellogg's and mm -hmm. I got exposed to more of the primary and qualitative research at Kellogg's. And Kellogg's is just such, you know, a classic CPG company, you know, on par with, uh, with P&G. Actually, uh, I remember we shared a lot of the same training programs. So it was a great training ground for me, you know, to make that transition to uh, primary and qualitative. But, you know, I had found that a, a lot of researchers are, back then were either one or the other. You know, either you're yeah. quantitative and syndicated and analytical, or you've got that, that primary qualitative sense. And there wasn't a lot of crossover. And I found that, like, you know, I couldn't, you know, create a discussion guide or a survey, you know, to save my life. Yet a lot of the primary people, you know, they couldn't, you know, work in Excel to save their lives. So right. it was kind of, it was great cross training. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so, and then, and uh, tell us how it evolved from there. And somewhere you made the jump from sure. super goods to pharma. Yeah. You know, I had a little uh, a side stint. Uh, you know, my MBA was in uh, information technology, kind of an IT MBA. And this is back in 98, you know, the peak of the, the dot-com era in 2000. Yeah, and I ended up going to, I worked for a couple, two dot coms. And uh, one of them was a storage play called, called X drive. And the idea was kind of like hotmail, you know, this cool killer app of, of electronic email or electronic mail. And then someone would come along and buy it. Sadly, no one did. But what was crazy <laughs> was this, this, uh, this college kid we hired from uh, UCLA, uh, Tom Anderson was his name. 
And I used to kid with him. I'd say, Mr. Anderson, you know, like the agent from the movie uh, The Matrix. Because yeah. the character Neo's name in, in The Matrix is Tom Anderson. Well, this kid, like six years later, uh, I had a friend send me this article. Didn't you used to work with these guys at X-Drive? I'm like, what are you talking about? MySpace? They, yeah, they found it MySpace. <laughs> and like your first friend on MySpace, I had MySpace yeah. account. I never used it. But your first friend is Tom. I'm like, that's a kid, Tom Anderson. The same time it was Tom Anderson, so yeah, that was fun. But um, yeah, I got back into CPG with Coors, and then later ended up um, transitioning to Pharma, uh, yeah. 2007 with Allergan, and that was a really steep learning curve. But in in many of this, the same sense, you know, it was the same types of research, you know, just a yeah. different category, you know, much more complicated. Um, but I always had an aptitude aptitude for science. And, did well. So yeah, I've been in, you know, pharma pretty much since 07 and worked, uh, you know, six and a half years with, with uh, uh, your colleague, Kendall, and did a lot of great uh, projects okay. and worked with some fantastic people. And yeah. I've learned a ton. Yeah. yeah, cool. And, uh, and you've been working with Beringer Ingelheim for, was it a year and a half or so now? Yeah, yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah, okay. in cardiology cardiology yeah yeah that's kind of interesting right because i've worked i have not done much work much work uh on the pharma side or healthcare side uh and you hear two perspectives like the perspective that you gave which is yeah you know they're not that much different it's a little more complicated but yeah. you know, a lot of the issues yeah. are um and some that say oh no you don't know the space so you're not going to learn it in, in a week. So <laughs> yeah, yet. it's definitely a, a, a long learning curve, you know, six to nine yeah. month learning curve. Yeah. Steep. And it's funny because you don't want to, you don't want to say things you don't know, like, or yeah. you don't want to ask questions, you don't, you know, in, in front of certain people. And it's really funny in pharma because it's some companies, they not, not the one I'm with, but others I've seen, uh, they can be really uh, insecure about kind of like, Oh, you know, never say, never ask a question. You don't have any answer to You're going to look stupid. You know, it's like, come on, you know, come on. It's okay to ask a question. I mean, I was there a couple of weeks and in, in the back room, I asked, someone mentioned tachyphylaxis, which yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm like, hmm, tachyphylaxis. <laughs> I was thinking out loud yeah. and my boss was like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> like, okay. Google it next time. So I Googled it. It's, it's basically the rapid uh, declining uh, effect of, of a drug that requires you to take more, a higher dose. That's tachyphylaxis. So. Well, I know now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, that's fun. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Super cool. All right. So, so tell us about, uh, like you went for, for coffee one day, right? And it, and, yeah. Yeah. and it changed your life. Tell us about that. Oh, it did. It did. I, I was at a coffee shop in Newport beach called Keen coffee. And, uh, you know, I just was hanging out and, uh, I saw these two motorcycles They're BMW, uh, GS 1200s and they have these like aluminum boxes on the side, which I later found out are called panniers, but they have these like knobby tires for off-road. I'm like, well, that's weird. I've never seen a motorcycle like that before. So I asked these guys who look like Marlboro men, you know, and I'm looking <laughs> at these guys like with a total bromance, you know, and uh, I'm like, what do you guys do? Like, what, what's the deal with these bikes? Like, I've never seen these. It's kind of like a motorcycle version of like a Land Rover Discovery, a D90 or something like that, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, we just, we go wherever we want and we essentially camp off the bike. You know, we've been to Baja, Mojave Desert, yeah. Death Valley, a lot of national parks. And we just ride around and we try to find like really cool dirt roads and camp. I'm like, wow, that sounds fantastic. 
And I've gotten into camping with my kids and Indian guides and Indian princesses. And I learned how to camp comfortably. And so camping for me wasn't like a huge uh, hurdle. Like I already like camping. I'm like, wow, camping on a motorcycle. That sounds so adventurous. I'd love to do that. So yeah. you know, I got a bonus and a tax return at the time. I pulled the trigger and ended up getting a, an adventure bike. Um, I had ridden scooters in college and high school. So I knew how to ride, but nothing like a big, you know, BMW uh, motorcycle. So yeah, I just kind of, I got involved with online and some forums and rode with friends and they taught me how to ride. And I really liked this riding off-road camping thing. I ended up starting in, I don't know, 2015, kind of my own uh, social media community for uh, people who that ride large adventure bikes off-road. It's called XL80V or Extra Large Adventure. And, uh, you know, the, the forums really didn't go anywhere, you know, after the advent of Facebook. But for whatever reason, I got really big on Instagram. And so I became like this influencer. I've got like 188,000 followers and a couple sponsors now. And it's really wow. opened a Did lot you of say doors. Sponsors? Yeah, I got sponsors. Awesome. So you get your tires yeah. for free and your batteries for free and stuff, or how's that work? Yeah. Yeah, and luggage. Yeah, I do. Well, it's not really for free. I have to like yeah. share content on their behalf. But, you know, it's just a little side gig. And I'm, I mean, I look at my Instagram, uh, you know, online time. I'm, I'm not even on like 20 minutes a day. So it's not really a big deal. But yeah, yeah it's been fun. And uh, it led to a couple, two things. When COVID hit, you know, things started to slow down and I didn't want to be locked down. And my youngest was finishing high school and he was going to be off to college. And I thought, wow, you know, um, and I've gotten involved with a friend who started a uh, adventure motorcycle kind of related uh, foundation that uh, involves a lot of clean water projects. And I've okay. done a, a few projects with him internationally, like uh, Hurricane Maria in uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, 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 they did a, a project in an earthquake in Mexico City and a volcanic um, eruption in Guatemala. And they found that, you know, being able to ride a motorcycle in these natural disasters allows you to get around really quickly and easily around traffic, um, you know, getting in and out of these places with doctors and medicine. So I got involved in that. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do an international trip of my own. And uh, so I just I decided now is a good time. You know, COVID really opened a lot of doors us in many ways later you know we talk about that in terms of market research but i just decided you know to sell everything and put the rest in storage and uh got a, a motorcycle triumph helped me out they gave me a media discount almost half off a motorcycle which was great and i took off in september of 2020 and about eight months later i ended up in colombia um <laughs> south america and i've got i've got a lot of friends down in colombia and uh you know a girlfriend and my motorcycle is still there and uh, so, yeah, so I spent eight months kind of traveling through Central and South America and uh, had a lot of really great adventures, and a lot of great people. But, yeah, continuing with this foundation, you know, it's it's been incredible. You know, we've met a lot of NGOs, people from different organizations like Global Empowerment Mission, you know, Michael Capone. Uh, he's on the ground now in Rafa outside Gaza in Egypt, um, getting aid into the people in Gaza. And he's also got people on Israel side helping a lot of the Israelis just in need of basic essentials, food and water and things like that. And I sure. uh, also met people with uh, World Central Kitchen, uh, Chef Jose Andres organization. And uh, um, I don't know if you knew this, Jeff Bezos gave them a hundred million dollars like a year and a half ago, just like no strings attached. Just here's a hundred million dollars. Uh, you know, go for it. 
so I've met a lot of really interesting people and uh, we've been able to get grants from various NGOs to do our own projects because we have a lot of people, but we don't have the money. <laughs> they have right. a lot of money, but they don't have the people. So uh, we have some ch uh, chapters around the world. Uh, I think our biggest one's in Mexico and they're doing projects like every weekend, you know, clean water uh, filters or shoes for kids. They're doing a lot now in Acapulco after the hurricane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been incredible. Uh, we did another big project in Cúcuta along the border with Venezuela and Colombia uh, four or five years ago. We helped like 6,000 refugees um, with uh, medical and dental clinics and uh, shoes, socks, uh, solar lights, uh, water filters and things like that. And uh, that's actually where I met my girlfriend. <laughs> so it was a really interesting story. But yeah, we've seen and done a lot of things and seen a lot of tough things and uh, had a lot of really interesting life-changing experiences. Uh, it's I wouldn't change it for the world. But uh, yeah, and we're still active. We do um, projects with uh, single moms. We find living in parks, uh, mostly in the big cities in South America, like uh, Bogota, Medellin, um, Quito, Lima, and Santiago. And we do this thing where, you know, you, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, or you, or you teach a man a fish, you feed him for life. And what we do is we give them a coffee cart, like a little small business, basically, where they can make and sell oh, coffee wow. in the day, usually at like bus stops and uh, construction sites. And we uh, get them an apartment and I think a month or two of rent and a month or two of food. And we've, you know, sort of graduated upwards of uh, 300 moms from this program and not a single one has come back asking for more money. So we think that's been a real success. So wow. that's, uh, that's kind of like my sidekick. <laughs> My hobby. Yeah, I, I still go do projects now and then when I get time, you know, time off from work. Yeah. How how long would a typical project take? Is this like a weekender or? Yeah, sometimes it's just a weekend, or sometimes it's like a week to ten days. Like the one in Cucuta was like nine or ten days. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's really interesting because I you hear about things like this, and I think, okay, well, it's an affinity group uh, that's yeah. it's doing good. Um, but this this added element that there's a specific advantage to riding motorcycles in some of these cases that makes yeah. you know a unique partner to to help in some yeah. of these situations. Yeah, it was a real uh, epiphany uh, that uh, my partner Tom Palmer, who founded the charity, you yeah. know, he just wanted to ride around the world and uh, maybe yeah. make a difference with solar lights. And they were in a major earthquake in in Mexico, and they just mobilized and started helping people. And then they realized after the volcano in Guatemala and Hurricane Maria, like, hey, this is like a thing. The whole There's a real synergy with all being on a moto because you can yeah. get over logs or through a ravine, uh, you know, a washed out bridge. You can go across the river, you know. And so we're like, hey, this is kind of a thing now. So, yeah, I've got I have one last question yeah. because uh, I used yeah. to ride motorcycles a bit and I just love <laughs> the, the long trips. Yeah. Um, and depending yeah. on who you're riding with. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's all planned out and, you know, each day yeah. it's figured out or it's, yeah. oh, hey, that road looks really cool. Um, let's yeah. go that way. Um, yeah. So that eight month trip that 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 took you ultimately to Colombia, how planned yeah. versus unplanned was that? What did that look like? You know, you know, I found and a lot of people who've done this will tell you the best type of trip is the unplanned trip. Yeah. You know, go where you want, see what you want. I was in Mexico for three months. And I kind of panicked. I'm like, oh, my God, I've been here three months and I'm not even out of Mexico. So <laughs> I kind of like made a rash decision. I kind of rushed my way south from Mexico City to Guatemala. 
And then when I got through Guatemala for a month and El Salvador for a few weeks, my Honduras, like two hours, just riding across to Nicaragua, I found that the border to Costa Rica was closed because of COVID. I ended up just doing nothing, largely nothing in Nicaragua while I was working remotely. Um, right. But for two months, I was in Nicaragua. I'm like, I could have spent so much more time in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, El Salvador, Guatemala, you know, so. Yeah, I think the best type type of trip is unplanned. You know, just go where you want to go and and, and go with a, a sense of exploration. You know, yeah, without necessarily a plan. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm totally on that yeah. that side of the fence. So, <laughs> yeah. so with something like this, um, has this changed your perspective on work? Um, how do you yeah. how do you think about that? Is there anything you've you've taken from your experiences that you've applied to your work life? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, definitely patience. Um, yeah. I say that uh, international travel has a way of rounding your corners. Yeah. And, uh, I think for me, maybe that's just age too, you know, being more mature. But um, I just may be more patient. Uh, it's allowed me to, to listen better. And in research, it's really important. Yeah. Listening, you know, not being so quick to offer an answer, which still can get me in, in some trouble. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think, yeah, it's sort of rounded my corners. It's, it's maybe it's mellowed me quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Makes sense. So <laughs> I, one thing I'm, I'm really curious about is um, so you've, you've now seen, you know, a lot, a lot of the world in a different way than let's say a lot of researchers might, where you drop into a city, you go to the hotel, maybe you do some focus groups, you go back to the hotel, you come home. Um, yeah. So from your perspective, uh, where you're sitting today, uh, what do you see the future of research looking like? What's, what's going to be important yeah. emerging? Well, I, I think it's definitely more global, you know, and kind of two things. One is COVID changed a lot about the way we work. And yeah. a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of us work remotely now. And I don't see that changing. Uh, there are some companies that, you know, have this sunk cost fallacy where we have to capitalize our, our you know, buildings. But I think they're finding out that people are hard to recruit and retain. And, you know, you and I can see on LinkedIn, 80% of the jobs say remote. So I yeah. don't think that's going to change. I think it's going to remain that way. And I think we can do that in research. There's some jobs you can't in R&D. If you're a scientist, you have to be in the lab. Mm -hmm. And there are other jobs that are really important to be in a central location. But I think if you're able to travel into the office a few times a year, and uh, if you're good and you're productive, um, I think you know, working remotely is, is kind of the main trend that's going to continue. Uh, I think it makes when you start a new job, I think it makes it more difficult to ramp up quickly because you lose a lot of those hallway conversations. But sure. on the other hand, it's a two-sided sword or double-edged sword. I think it gives us more productivity because a lot of times those hallway conversations are interrupting our pro productivity. And I think a lot of articles that I've read, at least Forbes magazine and elsewhere, state that, you know, working remotely is actually more productive and people are more satisfied. So, yeah, that number one would be, I think, working remotely. But, you know, as another result of that, a lot of things have become more global. We have a lot of partners, vendors, team members, marketers, yeah. um, production, sales that are in many different parts of the world. Right. So, um, you know, that's that's it's been more even more globalized than before. And uh, there are a lot of people who come from other parts of the world that are super smart and they're really affordable, you know, but yeah. yep. <laughs> there's another challenge because 
you know, there's a lot more depth we have to convey and train uh, in some of our colleagues. So, yeah, yeah. the global globalization is going to continue. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Cool. Um, so, so you're a social media influencer, right? <laughs> yeah. This is a podcast, yeah. and and now I have I'm, a podcast too. Yeah, I, and you have a podcast too. Yeah, if you want to check it out, it's you can find it at like Spotify or, or Apple. What's it called? XLADV. XLADV. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. So so when you're limited free time, uh, what what media yeah. are you consuming either for inspiration, insight, enjoyment? Yeah. What's what's Oh my guess? god! You know, like a lot of us, I probably spend way too much time on my phone, and yeah. a lot of times just to to veg out and disconnect. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll mini scroll through a lot of reels on, on uh, Instagram. Just, you know, I find myself laughing, like peeing myself, but it's, <laughs> you know, laughter is very therapeutic and it's, it's a stress reliever and it's yeah. a way to disconnect. So I do that. And I watch YouTube. I lot of, watch a lot of weird things on YouTube that you never thought you'd watch. Uh, this guy actually, his name is Martin Dooliard. He rode his, his bicycle around the world and he's now, um, he's refurbishing these stone cottages in the Italian Alps. And he's like the consummate artist, graphic artist and videographer. And it's just so relaxing. It's like my Sunday morning ritual. I, I watch him on, on YouTube and I watch a lot of other weird stuff <laughs> like <laughs> science, science and technology, yeah, you know, space and physics and all that. It's, it's kind of weird. I do know that many people can relate to that constant scrolling, scrolling, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just need a laugh. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's nice to just get on the bike and get what they call helmet time and go for a ride and just yeah. decompress without yeah. any any other stimulus other than the wind and the, and the breeze. Yeah, super cool. All right, so we've gotten this far, Eric, and we we have not touched on rock and roll yet, and you know it is. <laughs> rock and roll research podcast so we have to go there yeah. we have to go yeah. there so here's sure, how we're gonna sure. go there <laughs> let's say you're stranded on a deserted island and it probably won't be the first time <laughs> but yeah. but this time you will not escape you're stuck there for the end of your days but yeah you have three records of your choosing to keep you company yeah records now now we're talking music okay. so what are those records oh gosh um that's a great question. You know, uh, we talked about how things have changed in working with COVID and working remotely. And, and we've seen the music industry change where you know, it's not so much packaged in albums anymore. Yeah. But, uh, the, the artists that I can think of, and I, I can think of a few albums, but, you know, definitely classic rock and roll would have to be Zeppelin. Um, yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, Got to get the yeah, let out. Get the let out. Um, I actually was reintroduced to led zeppelin in college for whatever reason like there was a dearth of uh good new music and for whatever reason a lot of my friends and i got back into kind of the classic um heavy metal yeah um second uh just to switch gears uh some classical music okay. uh, there's an artist i know his name is arvo part and oh. uh i i heard his piece played in a church one sunday in midtown manhattan i was there on research over the weekend, I decided to go to church, you know, and uh, they had, you know, a lot of these New York Philharmonic, you know, professional musicians, they'll come in and play a piece that they're working on. And right. they played this piece. It was mesmerizing. It was called Brothers or in his language, it's called Fratters. And uh, I was just really moved by it. And then guess what? I saw the movie uh, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. 
oh, the, that song it. was it was on a soundtrack. I'm like, oh my god, that's the song I heard mm-hmm. it in, in New York. So that would be one, and then the third might be uh, something more American and laid back. I, I really like uh, Ray LaMontagne. He's kind of a folk yeah. rock guy. I think he's from like Maine or something. And he's like, yeah, I've seen him in concert a few times. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Ray LaMontagne. <laughs> yeah, very interesting choices. There's uh, there's the classic yeah. with Dublin and then and then a couple of uh, first-time mentions here on the podcast, which is really cool. Um, and very interesting with that there might be blood as such an intense movie and yeah. i think that the yeah. soundtrack contributes so much to that so i'm definitely going to seek yeah. out these. yeah check it out cool stuff excellent yeah. all right all right eric this has been a super cool chat uh i feel like i'm living vicariously through you i would love to do the same <laughs> take off on a bike for eight months uh, yeah. It just sounds so appealing. It's so cool. Um, yeah, so I'd do. love to uh, stay in touch and and maybe sometime over a pint somewhere, dig into some of those stories that you've got along the way of which I'm yeah. luminous. So yeah, we'll have a pint or a glass of wine or something. Yeah, sounds great to me. So yeah. let's talk soon, Eric. Let's keep in touch and rock and roll. All right, rock and roll. Rock and roll.